in, in university when in college you, you basically learn how to, to teach yourself how to do things with a bit of guidance but it's it's more on you if what you put into it is what you get out of it at the end of the day so and that that teaches you quite valuable skills That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with fantasy novel writer Richie Billing. This is the Walk Show Podcast with your host, Walker Near. I had a really great conversation with Richie, who is the author of the fantasy novel Pariah's Lament, which was published in March of 2021. Richie started out his career as a lawyer and realized his real passion was writing. I absolutely love chatting with Richie, so let's get over to our conversation. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music of today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Richie Billing. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing this evening? Oh, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. I'm not doing too bad, though. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, well, Richie, I'm really excited to have you here this evening. You are a uh, an author um, and also a podcast host, um, and you, you've got quite a bit. Uh, it looks like in the in the way of of, of work that you've you've done. Um, how long have you been writing? Probably about five years now. It's something that I've I've always kind of done part time, but I did quit my corporate job as a lawyer. Oh wow! To uh, <laughs> to to write, so that was I quickly ran out of money. So <laughs> <laughs> dream didn't last long. So yeah. I was yeah to work, but it was I've always kind of done it part time. I think once I fell in love with it, it's just become a part of my daily life now, and I, I couldn't mm-hmm. really imagine not having writing in my life now i'm always working on some kind of project yeah well and so in in the 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 writing that you're doing is is a lot of it is like kind of fantasy type writing stuff yeah yeah bit of an escapist yeah i love it um so uh, that's so interesting to to transition from being and obviously you know all kinds of people make up all kinds of professions um but Mm -hmm. i don't think that attorney or lawyer is something that people closely associate with fantasy writer right like <laughs> yeah maybe most of the time just like, i had quite a nice uh view from my window and just just a, that, that was a, a bit of a curse in the end because i was just staring outside thinking about doing lots of better things than sitting and listening to people moan at me because they haven't been paid compensation yet right so <laughs> Did you actually did you actually go to school for for writing to be trained or I mean obviously no. you went to school for some time as a lawyer okay yeah I, was a, I went to law school and then like I said I just started writing obviously at the beginning I quickly realized it wasn't very good yeah <laughs> so I just schooled myself I in in university when in college you you basically learn how to to teach yourself how to do things with a bit of guidance but it's it's more on you if what you put into it is what you get out of it at the end of the day so and that that teaches you quite valuable skills so so i don't really feel if i wanted to learn something now i don't really feel like i'd need to go back to college or i just teach myself so that's what i did with writing i just tried to source as many materials as i, as I could and um, i found there's loads of like free, a, a completely free college course on uh, YouTube by Brandon Sanderson, who's like one of the best-selling fantasy writers. Yeah, he's uh, great. And like that, people will pay thousands of dollars to go and attend that course, and we can just go watch it for free on YouTube. So I just studied. <laughs> I just used that. Like, just watched every every um, episode. Just went to as many sort of lectures, seminars, webinars as I could. Read as many articles. Practice, practice, practice every day, and. The more you put into it, the more you get out of it. The old, right. The uh, the rule, as I uh, yeah, maybe follow. with all things, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting that you bring that up. Um, the the I have a one of my close friends provides the music that I I use for the walk show, and uh, just within the last month, he was asking me if I had ever checked out those Brandon Sanderson videos on YouTube. He was like, they're really really fascinating. So <laughs> that's so cool to hear someone's yeah. actually become a published author <laughs> with that <laughs> method i'll have to tell him 
Um, nice. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's a, a question. What do you, do you read and consume a lot of fantasy books or, or do you read nonfiction things or a mix of stuff or what do you find yourself reading? So I have to admit, I'm a terrible reader. Really? Yeah. I, I go through phases of reading. So I think it was around the time that I got into writing. I was reading an awful lot of fantasy. Mm. And I think after university, before university, before I started drinking and stuff like that, you know, you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I devoured books. I used to love fantasy. Harry Potter, Lords of the Rings. I grew up with them films on television, them books out and so that was my kind of uh, my kind of genre, and then I just completely stopped reading. Went to university, you know how it goes. Came back, um, and just started reading fantasy again. I, I was working with a guy who, who kept recommending fantasy books to me, and everyone was a, a winner. So, <laughs> well, Raymond Feist was Raymond Feist series. That was the first one that kicked it off. Uh, Magician and. Mm. The rest of the Rift War saga, I don't know how many books are in that, but I've read them all anyway. And I think that started to get the juices flowing there. Then I was like, I'd like to do something like this myself. Because around that time, I was, me and my friend, my friend's a comedian, we were writing a sitcom. And that kind of came to a a standstill. And I didn't want to just, I was missing a project, a writing project. So Mm. I, um, that's why I started writing. I started reading Game of Thrones then. Yeah. Song of Ice and Fire. Love them. They're, that's my favorite series, I think. I mean, have okay. you read them, them books? Have you? I, I did. So so this is so great because in my head, I was just thinking, I'm going to have to ask him about Game of Thrones. And then you brought it up. So, um, <laughs> so, so I'm, I have turned cynical now about it. And maybe you can help me rid myself of my unnecessary cynicism. But... So I, I I got the Game of Thrones books on the recommendation of a friend, and I was just blown away yeah. by them pretty much right away. Um, and the, the reasons that I – I mean, there's a lot of good qualities to the book, so I don't mean to boil them down to just these two things. But I think the things that stood out to me the most were that um, it was – you know, in the first book and, you know, yeah. spoiler alerts, but the, the show's been out for a long time now too. So it's, yeah. it's fine. I think. Forgive but, yeah. But when, when Ned Stark dies unceremoniously in the first book, like I think me and, and maybe most other people, I would like to think at least uh, yeah. kind of assume that he's going to be the hero of the books, right? Yeah, like yeah. he's just kind of built to be the, the one that's not affected by the intrigue and the one that's above it all and the hero. And then he's just unceremoniously killed. And it was just like, wow, I never know. I I don't know where it's going anymore because this paradigm that I thought he had created, he just shattered in this moment, which I loved. Um, And then the other thing is that there's not really a central overarching, like evil in the way that like in Lord of the Rings, you've got Sauron who's just, who just woke up evil. Like he just woke up and wants to like destroy stuff, but there's not really a reason why. Whereas like, maybe you think the Lannisters are evil in game of Thrones, but at least they're evil in trying to protect their own family and their own fortune. It's not just for the sake of cruelty. Like there is some motive. Yeah. Even if it, not that ends justify the means, but does that make sense? Yeah, most definitely. Joe, this is a great point that you make because I love, this very thing about Game of Thrones that mm. there isn't really a definitive bad guy, I suppose. Like you could argue that the White Walkers are like the biggest threat to humanity and stuff like that. But for me, what George R. R. Martin absolutely kills is or does so well is is an, <laughs> uh, that could be misinterpreted. Yeah, um, what he kills, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's sort of highlighting the fact that humans are the bad guys, right? It's just like like real life. Like I love telling human real life stories in a fantasy setting, and I get the sense that that's what George R. R. Martin does as well mm-hmm. with fantasy. If you put it in a fantasy setting, you can have a dragon if you want. You can have a magic sword. That just makes it a bit more interesting, but. 
at the end of the day, like his kind of storytelling is all about characters and the journeys that they go on and the challenges that ha- they have. And with fantasy, you can just you've just got so much more at your disposal. For some people, it can be daunting having all that. You don't know what to focus on. You can, mm-hmm. you run the risk of doing too much, and that bores people. And then you you go the other way and do too little, and then that doesn't grab people's imaginations. So finding the balances in fantasy, I think, is the biggest challenge. But it's um, yeah, I don't know. What, what, did you do you like that aspect of it, like the the lack of a sort of overarching villain or the more abstract thing? Yeah, I absolutely loved um, that kind of that factor. And, and then again, like I was saying, the fact that, that none of the characters felt sacred, right? Um, there wasn't some one, one hero. Now, arguably later in the books, other characters kind of develop into that, but um, yeah, I yeah. thought it was fascinating. And I, 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 so I devoured the books. I started reading them, I think in 06 or 07. So the first three nice. were out and then the fourth one came out like, maybe just before I finished the third one or somewhere in there. So I had this run where I'm just like game of Thrones book, game of Thrones book, just one after the next. And then there isn't one and there's not another one until 2012. (laughs) (laughs) At which point I don't remember all of the details that clearly. So I'm like on Wikipedia trying to look stuff up. And then the way he wrote the fifth book, like, it was originally supposed to be, it was originally going to, it was originally going to be like the second half of the fourth book. But so the beginning of the fifth book is like runs parallel to the fourth book. And then it all catches back up. It converges again. And that was really confusing to me because of that gap of time. And then Mm. did he ever come out with another one since then? Has there been another one since? Yeah. No. See, so there's no. my bone <laughs> to pick with George R. R. Martin. Is like, dude, you've created yeah. this super compelling thing, and now I have to listen to people who watch a TV show tell me how it ends, and I don't want to hear that from them. And not that I'm like the pretentious reader guy or something, but just I've invested so much time into this, and now it just felt kind of yeah. stolen. I guess I don't know. I think that the books will always be better now because of the way the series yeah. ended. Uh, did you watch the series? No. So I, I started to, when it first came out, I watched season one. I had a friend that was having people over for like a watch party and we would all sit around and watch, watch game of Thrones. But at that point, the books were recent enough in my memory that I wasn't really watching the show for the show. I was watching the show and comparing every moment to what happened in the book and then measuring it against that. Yeah which is not really an enjoyable way <laughs> to watch a show, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just kind of backed away from it and just kept assuming that eventually another book would come out and um, it didn't. <laughs> Solely disappointing. Yeah. And I also, I, you know, I also, I got a little irritated. Um, I, you know, like I talked about at the beginning of the book with Ned Stark, where when he kills Ned Stark in that first book and you're just like, wow, Nothing is safe. But then I feel like he kind of cheapened that. Um, you know, for, for people who watch the TV show, the Red Wedding was like this really crazy thing because Rob Stark gets killed, right? But in the books, Rob Stark isn't a, a main character. Like all of the primary characters get chapters that, that are labeled that character's name yeah. and it's from their perspective. And there are no Rob Stark chapters. So, yeah, that's an example of him doing something drastic, but... I mean, there's there's more than one example of him implying that like Arya has been killed, and then you you go forward a few chapters and she wasn't really, or the way the fifth yeah. book ends is with Jon Snow being killed, and honestly, I was like, I don't yeah. believe you, I don't believe you that he's dead, and it felt cheap, I guess, you know what I mean? It felt like a cliffhanger that was like a like a like a TV show cliffhanger, really, and it was just like, come on, man, like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I think that's the way that's the way you write that I'm gonna I was gonna well I will say it's like one of that technical aspect is one of the things I really like mm. about the book is that it will it, it focuses like you say each character uh, chapter focuses mm-hmm. on a character and that character will take you to a certain point, leave you a cliffhanger and then 
you won't hear from that character then for about eight right. chapters. So you've got to get through all those other chapters first to get to the next one. And that was no other book has ever done this to me. And it was the one you were talking about with mm. the Red Wedding. And I couldn't sleep one night, so I started reading the book at about one a.m. And the next time I checked the time, it was seven a.m. And I that that amount of time just whizzed by just reading. And no other book has like sort of enraptured yeah. me that much. And it was because like I wanted to see what happened to certain characters, and I would just race through other chapters just to see. And that was like a really really compelling way to. Uh, to write a book so that's something that i do now i have a few characters mix it around um always leave it on a cliffhanger it's called architectural suspense that sort of uh, writing technique to be clear it's not that i think that ending something on a cliffhanger ending something with suspense is the issue it was more very specifically that i felt like he was kind of abusing um my belief that he'll kill characters off and then he doesn't. Yeah. Like it was almost like he was braver in the beginning of the writing <laughs> than he was at the end. Um, and again, yeah. this is probably terrible for me to be talking like this to another writer, but because it's not like I'm the writer, you know what I mean? It's not like it's my story that he's telling or something. <laughs> so who am I to, to to judge it like that? But um, yeah, I think ultimately my my bitterness with it is really just that I loved it so much and was just disappointed that I didn't get to finish it in the books. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know if the ending that the show had was going to be the ending that the books would have had if they would have unfolded that way, but it just felt a little too, a little too wrapped up, you know, it just felt a little too neat for how messy everything else was leading up to that. Yeah. I mean, the, the series does miss out an awful lot and some of the best bits, I think it misses out some of the twists and turns. So the, the way the the last two series was what well, as soon as it, it they start started running out of the written mm. material, the character development started lagging. It just became a series of plot points, wow. to be totally honest. And I mean, you can tell that's what exactly happened. They sat down with George Aramat and said, What <laughs> happens next? George Aramat hasn't written it. So he's just got he's obviously just gonna give them plot points because that's all he's got to work off. And that's what what it felt like. It's just a series of plot points with no character development, and that's why everything that happened wasn't compelling because like, I mean, I won't, I won't go into it because you haven't seen it. Oh, I know what happened. Um, I'm, I'm aware. I've had it spoiled yeah. for me. <laughs> by my friends. Yeah. Well, just as like the worst example is just before, I think it's in the last episode when da- Daenerys is just, she just sulks in a room for like two days. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not a character development. <laughs> That's not a justification to then go and burn down a city. You know what I mean? It's right. ridiculous. It's and you can tell that's where it lags. And I know a lot of people criticize George R. R. Martin, and I I just empathize with him completely because I don't know how much you know about him. Like he always wants to be a TV writer, oh. and to now he's like created like the most popular, or helped create one of the most popular TV shows ever made. You know what I mean? So I think it's only natural for your attentions to be distracted right. a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't blame him. And the this, this sort of the technical aspect of writing that story with so many different characters, I think I have heard him describe it as it's not like you're building a house, you're building a, like mm. a monastery. And you've got to face that task and try and tie all the loose ends together. And then you've got to finish it off with all lovely mosaics and stained glass windows and things like that and it's just an incredible challenge i mean some of his books are like five hundred thousand words <laughs> well and, and maybe fifty thousand of those words are just describing the various meals that the characters have throughout <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the poems yeah. and the songs no but i i, I will i will yeah. i will say i mean your enthusiasm for it does chip away at my cynicism because the truth is is that it really was more just like my feelings are hurt so that i'm bitter you know what i mean but the truth is, is that yeah, I do love it, and it is, I mean, and I, I don't mean to make this episode like us reviewing Game of Thrones, so apologies. <laughs> it's just so interesting to talk to someone about it that I that, that has these, you know, this insight. But um, like the third book, for example, I, I'm pretty sure it's the third book, where he introduces a bunch of characters that only get one chapter. Like, 
I think it's like the, yeah. the maybe one of the very earliest chapters in the book is one of the the brothers from the the Iron Islands or whatever, and he's like drowns people yeah. and it like I thought that was really really cool that he was willing yeah, to do like these that. little one off characters that are like side characters but definitely enrich the world and the story and and that sort of thing most definitely that's something I do as well in in my novel for Eyes events like. I love, because like you say, it's when you follow the perspectives of certain characters, it can get mm. a bit samey. And if you want to you illustrate how rich this world is and uh, all these great details that you've labored hours over trying to create <laughs> yeah. in some cases, then introducing characters, especially that character that advanced the story, like their perspectives are going to be completely different. So it's... Um, it's fantastic. So I have a few characters who, um, one character who just gets one chapter, but he's a bit of a central character. So although some people would say, well, why didn't you give him any more chapters? And I was like, well, didn't have enough words, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> right. But, um, yeah. And then there was like other characters that I just introduced because I wanted to give a different perspective, or contrast contrasting perspectives with the antagonist. Um, so, yeah, I love playing with perspectives, and I think that's what makes uh, game Game of Thrones so enrapturing and so gives you like a, a provides like a true escape, takes you to a different place because there's so many different people living so many different lives, and they're so fleshed out and yeah. real. It it almost becomes a, a real place, and I think that's the ultimate aim with fantasy particularly secondary world. Yeah, that's really, that's very true. I mean, in, in, you know, I think, um, and I've not read uh, Lord of the Rings, to be clear. I've I've just watched the movies, so very limited knowledge of all of it. But in that it creates, you know, you've got the, the elven kingdom and they live in one way and the hobbits live in one way and the dwarves live in another way. And so it kind of creates that, but you're writing Game of Thrones. I, I feel like it even feels, and again, comparing the books to, to, the movies is, is not fair, but um, in the game of Thrones books, like you just get this huge world. I mean, so such a variety of cultures, you know, it's like, I would say that uh, Westeros feels in a lot of ways, like Europe or something perhaps. Right. But then there's all these other cultures spread throughout it, throughout the world that um, are nothing like, like what Westeros culture is. Yeah. And it makes you want to explore those yeah. places as well. That's the uh, that's the the trick. If you can just give a, li- a little bit of detail, not overload, just snippets. Just let give, let people sort of peer through the window without really opening the yeah. door for them. That's what to create intrigue. So he's really good at that as well, George R. R. Martin. This is just turning to the George R. R. Martin. <laughs> well, so now I'll I'll change gears because <laughs> so. I, I'm, I, and but it's to another author that you already mentioned, so I'm still not being creative in our conversation. Um, but that Sanderson, <laughs> have you read any of Sanderson's books? Yeah, I've read uh, yes. Mistborn. Okay, same. That's the only one I've. Yeah, I read that trilogy, like but that's the only one I've read so far. Um, although I have friends that have read yeah. others and say all of them are excellent. I can't keep up with them. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I get like his emails. And it's like progress reports. I have written eighty thousand words since Tuesday. <laughs> it's like how how I, I don't understand how people can just sit there. And just, the most I've ever written in a day is about three thousand yeah. words. I don't know how people can do that much. I like. mean, it's probably what you said earlier. It's probably practice, right? Like as you continue to do it and continue to hone that yeah. skill. I mean, you're five years in, but when you're fifteen years in, it probably looks a little bit yeah. different, right? <laughs> And you know what? If you're a professional author as well, and you're making a comfortable bit of money that you can just sit there and write right. all day, who knows what right. you could do? Right. Well, so so yeah. I, I'm interested then in, because with Mistborn, um, the thing that I found so fascinating about that trilogy, and, and I don't know if this language is correct, so help me define it if, if you don't think it's correct. Um, but in in the Mistborn trilogy. And I don't want to try. That's not nearly as popular as, as Game of Thrones. So probably a lot of listeners won't know exactly what we're talking about. So I'll try not to describe the, the plot points. But but basically, 
as the reader, you you read the first book and you understand who the the protagonists are, who the the antagonist, who the main what you believe to be the main villain is, and kind of the the scope of the world. And then you get yeah. to the end of the first book, and all of that is is wrong. Like you you were wrong as the reader, or at least I was wrong as the reader about what I thought how I thought things worked, right? Um, through like yeah. Kelsier and the, the, the Lord Ruler or whatever his name is, that's like the God King. Um, yeah. And and so I, I, the way I refer to that is a paradigm shift. And again, I don't know if that's if that even makes sense, but just in so much as that, again, like you, you think it's one set of, of a reality and then it totally changes and, and really expands in scope to be like, no, it's much bigger yeah. than that. And then he does it again at the end of the second book going into the third one where it's like you still you thought you knew and now bam like we're going to open the curtain and reveal that no there's actually all these there's additional complexity to this there's additional i also call it like kind of zooming out um yeah did you have that experience does that make sense what i'm describing or am i just a a crazy person (laughs) yeah no no and i think that was the magic of it because you when you get to the end of a book You've got to sort of either set, wrap it up or set yourself up for the next one, and like you say, expanding the scope and and showing the reader all these other possibilities. I think that's one mm-hmm. way to do it. You need. There's to, a TV yeah. show called The Expanse um, that's that's pretty popular. That's that's based off of books that I haven't had the opportunity to read, um, but I feel the same way about it. Which it's funny because it's called The Expanse, which is referring to outer space because it's a science fiction thing. But the story really does expand constantly. Like it starts out on the TV show, yeah. like it, you think it's going to be a show about people on a space station, and a few episodes in, there's like aliens that <laughs> no one's ever encountered before. Um, and I just, yeah. I thought that was, I, I just, I love, I love that feeling. I guess of again, lack of lack of language, but of, of kind of zooming out constantly, and it's just like no it's bigger than that like nope it's actually bigger than that um is that a technical thing at all or is that just something that i'm identifying on my own and and kind of <laughs> manifesting <laughs> yeah i suppose uh, it is a technical thing yeah in the sense that um the, the character story has to grow and develop and depends on the journeys of the characters doesn't it so if they're if they're going on a bit of an exploratory mm-hmm. story then they're going to encounter new things. And I think when you were saying about like Mistborn, you're so focused on the characters and the way the story's written is that it's very characters focused. So you're in the mind of the character. It's like third person limited is, is the narrative. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, so you, you, you within the character's mind, you, you're limited to what they know and understand. So I think that form of writing is much more engaging because things like this can change very quickly like you can expand horizons and it's a uh, it's a surprise to the reader because their their knowledge is is limited to what the character mm. knows as well so yeah yeah that makes sense
you have a, a couple of different kinds of things that you 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 provide via writing. You have your your novels that we talked about, but then you also provide kind of writing guides for people that are yeah. interested in learning to write. Can you kind of explain how that that all came to pass? The the two yeah. different things. Well, I started with the writing guides because I got into blogging. So once I give it a go, I didn't know what to write about. So at the time I was studying, like I was saying before, I was doing all these lectures and things like that, making all notes. So I thought, why don't I just transfer these notes into a blog? And then basically just sharing all the things that I learned. Hope mm. other people might find them useful too. And then that just took off really. So ever since then, I've just been developing it. And it's around five, four, three years ago now. Yeah, I can't even know what year we're in anymore. After that <laughs> forgotten year last year. Yeah, no one knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was about 2017, 18. I brought out a fantasy writer's handbook because as a fantasy writer, when I started out, I couldn't find any books that were aimed at me, really. Mm. How to write fantasy. So that's what I essentially put together, the book that I would have wanted when I started writing fantasy. And that's that's my best-selling book by far. <laughs> Which uh, is better than the uh, the fiction writing, to be honest. I don't know why. Yeah. Know what's going on there? <laughs> Do you find one of the other more rewarding, or are they rewarding in different ways? Yeah, they are very rewarding in different ways. Like um, uh, This book's been out for a while now, uh, so a few people have, have come to me and said, I've got book deals based off the back of like things that I've learned from your book. And that hmm. was so satisfying, because that's mm-hmm. why I did it. I, I, I get so much satisfaction from helping other people. So I always believe other people should write as well. Everybody should write. I think, I don't know, there's something special about it. Like It's like having a conversation with yourself. So when you've got thoughts and feelings swirling around your mind and you, you can't quite make sense of them, you can sit down and just write write a story about them or just write about how you think, you're thinking or you're feeling. And it can it is like just having a conversation with yourself and you can process things and understand things and that's why I think it's a special thing to do. And I think everyone's got a story in them as well. Maybe not novel length, but there's always that that funny story that someone tells a party or something like that. And do you know like something that's worth writing down? I think everyone's got something that's worth writing down. And mm. I I think what I love about words as well is that they are they can be eternal. Like once it's written down it's out there. It's like it's not going to go anywhere. It's, it's there for future generations to read and enjoy. So, yeah, I, I think it's a special thing. And that's why I put that book together. And like I do the blog, constantly developing that, the podcast. And um, I've got a writing course coming out this year, if I ever get the time to do that. <laughs> and, yeah, it's all aimed at encouraging people to write giving them the fo- the focus, the structure, and the tools to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the, from the sort of fiction side of it, when I was writing for Eyes Lament, the biggest challenge for me was the doubt. I don't know if you've ever written um, a book like that yourself. And No. <laughs> uh, I make a podcast that I have a lot of doubt in, but I, I haven't, yeah. I haven't, I haven't I, written a novel. <laughs> anything creative, I think. So, like, the podcast as well, like... Liking that, um, it when especially when it's just you doing the task, mm-hmm. you don't get much feedback on it. And that novel took two years to write, and I didn't have much feedback beyond the editor and a few beta readers and stuff like that. So it was, uh, you were worried whether anyone was going to read it, and if they did read it, whether they'd hate it or find something, some reason to to <laughs> damn it in some way. So, um. <laughs> But in the end, it turned out all right. It's got some good good reviews. So, yeah. So you know, I, I'm I'm curious at your thought on this point. I, I and I'm again going to bring up really famous fantasy author. But have you ever read um, Robert Jordan at all? Yeah, I've read the first book in the Wheel of Time series. I've read them all. Yeah, I. So I have friends. I have one friend that's read the series more than once, which is astonishing to me. Um. I have other friends that have, that have read them. I got, I think I stopped after the third book. Yeah. And again, I'm a layman. I'm not a writer. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not credible (laughs) actually, but 
the impression that I got was kind of that the kind of writer that Jordan seemed to be, or at least in the way I interpreted it was like, he had some really fascinating, um, what I'll call meta or macro ideas, right? Like where the story's going overall, really, really cool. But page to page, he's, he's not compelling for me. Like it's not a page turner because it's, it honestly, my specific criticism of that is it just felt like there was too many unnecessary details. Like a character walks into a bar and he describes what everyone in the bar is wearing in exquisite detail. (laughs) And it doesn't matter. You're like, Oh, that guy's got a blue handkerchief. I bet later there's a killing and there's a blue handkerchief founder. I don't know, you know, something like that. And no, the answer is no, it does not matter that that person was wearing a blue pay handkerchief other than to create the scene. Um, and in any way, and, and but then I, I've read other writers that, like I think Neil Gaiman, um, who fantasy, but not in the traditional sense that we're talking about mostly here. Yeah. But Neil Gaiman does a really excellent job of creating scenes and providing enough detail that um, you get it, but also that you're able to fill in some of the gaps as the reader. Yeah, And so I guess where I'm going with that is that I always kind of thought of reading as kind of a passive activity where you're just kind of absorbing whatever's on the page. But but once I found other writers like Gaiman, for example, I, I, I actually found that, that compelling writing for me is actually a very kind of active process because the writer is providing a framework for settings and events and things. But then as the reader, like I'm imagining some of the finer nuanced yeah. details of it. Does that make sense at all? Oh, most definitely. I, I, that's a fantastic point because I'm the same as you. I love, I engage more when I have to think about it more. Yeah. So, and with my writing as well, I, I don't really describe my characters in great amounts of detail. Um, scenes, for example, I'll just pick maybe one or two little things that will create an atmosphere or contribute to the story or in some way i don't there's no need to describe it all in detail like you say it's boring yeah um, the kind of the robert jordan style is probably what was it the 80s i think 80s and 90s so yeah. it's it, it's like classic fantasy isn't it and um there's just no need for it that was one of the big criticisms of laws of the rings i know you've not read it but one of the in the first book anyway, there's the scene that everybody just hates where the hobbits sim- just leave the uh the Shire and they're going through this forest and they meet this character called Tom Bombadil. Yeah, that's and, not in the movies. I've never yeah, I never encountered him. Right. But definitely got cut out in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really boring. But some people love it, but some people it's I just it doesn't really add anything. There's no conflict involved. So mm-hmm. um yeah, so it's all about relevance, I think. And with fantasy, that's always the big problem because you create this secondary world with all these beautiful details that you've spent hours creating and you just want to include them and you get really excited to do it. But sometimes it's just not necessary. It's not relevant. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why I think a lot of fantasy writers struggle. And a lot of people get put off fantasy because they read these books and they're just info dumps to like 15 page prologues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. It can mm-hmm. be exhausting. Um, it can be exhausting for sure. So now to me, I kind of relate fantasy and science fiction as being like, I don't know, cousins or something maybe. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts? Did science fiction interest you? At all, have, or is it yeah. off the radar? I have tried reading a bit of science fiction. Like I say, I'm not a very good reader, so <laughs> I uh, I have tried, but I just couldn't. I haven't really been able to get into things. I have a book there on the shelf, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, which is a bit of a science fantasy, is it? Sci-fi fantasy book. Mm. I know she she sort of flirts between the genres, so I do intend to give that one a go. But again. I just, whether I get into it or not, is another matter. <laughs> yeah. But I do like sci-fi. I do. I think I enjoy watching sci-fi more than I do reading it. I've mm. never tried writing it. 
What about you? Yeah. What kind of are you a sci-fi fan? Um, yeah, I mean, I you know, I wouldn't claim to be like a. I mean, anyone who would who would wear the badge of science fiction fan would would say that I don't belong in that group, and that's completely <laughs> fine. Um, so I, I'm not like a Star Trek guy. Um, I didn't watch the Star Wars movies, which are insanely popular here. Um, yeah. I, I didn't watch. I actually watched them in. <laughs> in the order that the story goes in, not the order in which they were released. So I watched yeah. episode one, two, yeah. three, four, five, six. And I mean, it turns out that if you watched them in the order they were released, so four, five, six, and then one, two, three, well, if you're introduced to Darth Vader in episode four, he's a pretty compelling villain. Like he's terrifying and ominous and always there and deadly and whatever. But if you watch him in order, the whole time you're just like, mm, I feel like he's still just the crying child that now <laughs> has the power to be a bully. But I just don't I don't care at all. Like, I really want him to lose. But I'm not I, it's I mean, he's scary because he's powerful, but it's I don't know. It's not it's not a there's nothing endearing about him as a villain, which maybe that sounds weird to say. But like he just loses a lot of the cool factor when you realize that it's just some emo guy that <laughs> yeah. this is probably crying behind his breather mask. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm yeah. sure all star Wars fans are, are livid now. And that's, that's also fine. I, you <laughs> email me anytime and I'll be happy to tell you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch anyway, that, um, I've watched, um, I think I watched episode seven and honestly, I mean, it, it wasn't, it's not the same it's not the exact same thing, but it kind of was like, there was some scene. I remember the scene that I remember the most that stands out the most is like Kylo Ren. Who's like the new Darth Vader kind of character, I guess um, has the female Jedi protagonist in cap, you know, captivity. And then she escapes and then he throws this massive fit and like tears up the room that he's in a lot. Yeah. And again, it just loses me instantly. Cause it's like, you just seem like an angsty kid more than like an angry villain. That's like driven with purpose. Like it just feels like you should have something better to do than throw a tantrum in your room right now. Yeah. You know? Like maybe go capture her back since you're so concerned about it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I get, uh, I get, I get turned off quickly by <laughs> angsty teen drama type yeah. <laughs> sentiments. <laughs> Again, that might sound incredibly condescending from me, and I don't mean it that way, but that's just. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I was going to ask you, so, so, but all that being said, so maybe the two most popular science fiction things, no, I'm not a huge fan of. Love the Expanse. Um, um, there's a, and now I say I love it, and the name is escaping me. Oh, it's, it's called The Gap Cycle. Um, but it's a, a science fiction series that's actually based on like, some old opera that's like about dragons, but then he kind of took it and repurposed it for a science fiction story. I thought that was incredibly compelling. I thought it was just as good as, as you know, Game of Thrones or Mistborn or anything like that. So, um, yes, but where I was going to go and I, this may, this may be a dead end immediately. So for me, I actually fell into liking fantasy and, and science fiction, both, really through video games more than through television or movies or reading. Yeah. Is that, a, is that something that you like at all? Is that, is that a yeah. part of your upcoming at all? Yeah. Video games do. I think the first proper fantasy game I've Final Fantasy seven. Yeah. <laughs> I love yep. that game so much. I never finished yep. it though. I could never beat the last boss. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right there with but, you. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, um, Love all the Elder Scrolls games. Mm -hmm. Skyrim spends days playing that game. Yep. <laughs> and I think they're very immersive in mm -hmm. in the worlds that they create and they suck you in and they bring it to life. The, the video games do bring it to life and then they've got like the music. I love listening to like the Skyrim soundtrack. That yeah. just draws you in, sucks you right in. And then I do love like games like Halo, Destiny. Right. Um and yeah, it is all about escaping to the different worlds and different places. Mm -hmm. And video games just bring it to life for you. Yeah. You? Yeah. I mean, I, I play all the ones you've mentioned. Mass Effect is a series in the science fiction realm that, that 
really resonated with me that I liked a lot. Um, I mean, I played the Diablo series. Like I remember getting out of, out of the Lord of the Rings movie and racing home. Now I was a high school kid, but racing home to play uh, Diablo two, because even though it's not the same, like it had some fantasy twist to it, if you will. Yeah. And so it, it felt like it was that same energy. Um, <laughs> kind of like a kid when you watch a GI Joe cartoon and you want to go play with your GI Joes or something kind of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, <laughs> nice. but yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very avid gamer. Um, that's probably what I spend most of my, my leisure time doing is, is gaming. Um, but either way, that's a, a I don't mean to <laughs> drone on about my personal habits or hobbies. Um, so you've, you've mentioned it already, but Pariah's Lament is a, a novel of yours just for, for the listener's benefit. Um, cause I, I, Kind of no matter what you say next, I'm already going to check it out. But what is the premise of Pariah's Lament? So Pariah's Lament is all about underdogs. I love that kind of story. Mm. So like Frodo and Sam having to take the ring to, to Mordor. These two yeah. little hobbits. Like characters like Tyrion Lannister. Just massive obstacles in their lives. I just love them kind of stories. Character, like Characters who you expect nothing of defying extreme odds so uh <laughs> i think your dog likes that one as well yeah <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> go on <laughs> yeah so that's the kind of um the story i like so it follows two main characters edvar and izzy and they're both sort of the underdogs outsiders izzy's probably more so than edvar she's she was born with a birthmark on her face so she's branded as a bit of an outcast, a cursed one, mm. and cast aside by even a, a parent. So she's very much a loner. And Edvar, who's um, struggling to fill his famous father's shoes, and he's uh, his father's died, and he, his father was the right hand man to the the keeper, which is the equivalent of the the king. And uh, so he's he's been sort of groomed for this position, but he's been uh, thrust into it a bit too soon. And all of a sudden, things start going wrong and Edvar's having to fix them all, mm. uh, or at least try. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's all about the, the conflict between two neighbouring kingdoms and the relationship between the two keepers of these kingdoms and the history mm. of them. And... These sort of lesser characters, well, lesser figures in society, get drawn into the conflict and end up being quite influential in determining the fate of it all. But it's very much a a story of exploring, like finding your purpose in life, like what you like what what you sort of want to do with yourself and defying odds and. I know a lot of people go through like a lot of tough challenges like bullying and things like that and it's like overcoming things like that and and um and growing as people and and becoming sort of better in your situations and things like that. So I think the 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 character arcs and the the growth throughout the story for, for each character is quite satisfying and there's a lot of uh, a lot of fighting and a lot of battles big battles towards the end. So if you like that kind of stuff, yeah. I, I do love medieval history. So I share that in common with George R. R. Martin. So I do read a lot of medieval history books and I love gritty storytelling, gritty warfare. Like, mm. I mean, it is brutal stuff. I mean, sometimes it gets, I suppose it's the publishers and the editors doing this as opposed to the authors, but in in medieval warfare, can you just imagine hacking someone to death with a, a sword or an axe? Right. It's just, oh, it's hideous. And, like, the yeah. wounds that you can inflict. And, yeah, it's, it's yeah, I can't even imagine it. But I do try and capture that in my stories and at least give you a sense of what it would have been like and what it would feel like having to witness these things, experience these things. And I do experiment a lot with different kinds of weaponry like medieval weaponry like siege weapons and things like that so oh cool i have a lot of fun with it it's just a it's a fantasy book that i'd like to read well that was that was actually the question that came to my mind as you were describing it um 
is, you know, you said it took you maybe two years to, to, to write it. So obviously you're spending an enormous amount of time with it when you're done writing it. Is it something that you can go back and read or are you already intimately familiar with it? So there's not a purpose to, to going back. Do you know what, right? I was mentioning that I was struggling with reading and I, after I finished it, I took a, a bit of a break. I thought I was going to step away from it for a good while. Otherwise I'll never stop nitpicking at it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, it, it, I, I started reading it again because I was worried that I'd, it wasn't good. Mm. And I got really into it. Nice. So I, it's 110,000 words. There's no way you're remembering every single word that you've written. So after leaving it a while, it does you do sort of forget what you've written and the way you, you wrote it. So yeah. it was quite fresh reading it. And I've, I've been through it. like So... That gave me a bit more confidence, and yeah, I did enjoy reading it again. I have got a paperback copy there, and I said I was going to read the paperback copy again, but I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've read it too many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds super interesting, and and I don't say that just because we're we're having this conversation. It really does sound really really cool, and and the brutality kind of stuff that you describe. It's funny because in in real life, like I'm very averse to violence like i i'm not a violent person i don't i don't no. one time one time i walked out when i lived in the apartment i walked out of my apartment and there's just cat fur everywhere in the air and there's these two cats just going crazy fighting one another and i mm. was aghast i was like oh oh my god and some some i don't know probably 65 year old lady comes out of her apartment with a broom and shoes them apart yeah. And it was no big deal. And it just went back inside. And I was like, <laughs> man, like <laughs> she was, she didn't, I mean, it took her nothing to break it up. And I'm over here, like, like scared for the cats. Like, oh no, what will happen? And anyway, <laughs> so my point is just to say, like, I'm not, not a violence guy, but in movies, video games, TV, books, I, I love <laughs> yeah. that, that. And I don't, I think it's probably because I know it's not real. And so I'm not worried about the actual consequences of it in the same way. You know what I Definitely, mean? Yeah. It's like the, uh, like just like conflict generally. Like when we, our, our lives, I, I'm exactly the same as you. I don't like any sort of conflict. I just want a quiet, easy life. Yeah. Just let me sail through. Let me do my own thing. Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> um, but when it comes to seeking out entertainment, it's the conflict that we seek. Yeah, because that's what grips us. But we've, like you say, we've always got that. The episode's finished now. We can step away. We've always got the ability to set it aside, and that's thank God that's not my life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so we've talked about Prior's Lament. Um, you talked about the the Fantasy Writers Handbook, and then you've also got thoughts on writing. Um, what is what is thoughts on writing about? So that's sort of like uh, a fantasy writer's handbook, but I just adapted it and updated it and expanded it a bit more uh, just to make it more of a general book on writing because a fantasy writer's handbook, to be fair, about 60% of it is is more general writing tips mm. and guides and stuff like that. But um, I didn't want people to be put off by the title because, I mean, I don't know why. Or people look at down at the uh, the fantasy genre a little bit. Oh, some, I didn't some know people, that. Some people do anyway. They just <laughs> see it as a bit of a uh, a fad. For a fad that's been around for seventy years? Were you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> yeah. even longer if you ask me. Yeah, there you go. I just made up fantasy. a number. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably like the oldest form of storytelling. I'd say fantasy. Sure. Um, but yeah, so. Um, I don't know what I was saying. Sorry, yeah, I probably I derailed you, but you were just saying I, I was asking you, um, I, I was asking you about the the other book that you have. Um, oh yes, yeah, thoughts on writing. Yeah, yeah. So that um, that's just more of a general writing book, but still useful. So still worth buying. Yeah. So that's interesting. You know, I, and I, I, um, I push back on a lot of kind of cultural stereotypes like that. Like what do you, do you have any sense of why people would look down on 
on fantasy as a genre because to me it's i, I mean <laughs> now if we want to be mean to a genre let's pick on romance novels right i mean there's <laughs> there's genres that can be picked on but fantasy doesn't yeah. seem like it should be one i think like yeah i see a lot of romance authors getting um a lot of stick as well and you know what right i i sort of sympathize with them because i i see fantasy and romance and genres like that as um a sort of together on this because you you get like literary novels which seems to be at the top mm. but i mean i don't know if you've ever read some of these literary novels but i don't know what's going on after time mm. they've got well, some of them don't have like punctuation <laughs> and and like i understand it's meant to be like you're meant to be challenging the boundaries of of writing and stuff like that but I mean, at what expense right. does it come for the, the uh, for the story? You know what I mean? I'd rather read a good story about characters that are exploring things and doing interesting things and stuff like that. But I don't know. So you've got not for everyone, but I just kind of feel like fantasy doesn't get the credit it deserves because you have to create a whole new world from scratch, and that's a massive challenge as well as then like compared to like a thriller, for example, where it's set in. James Bond, you know what I mean? He's in Russia. It's, he's got all. He's in Moscow. He's running around Moscow, killing Soviets. <laughs> so it's 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 nice and easy. You have got reference points. Right. You can't. I can't like easily describe something like that to you in about a fantasy book because I, you don't have the same references. Right. So it's and another thing I like about fantasy is, which is also a big challenge, is that you can combine other genres into it. So mm-hmm. you can have romance. There's like elements of romance in my story, for example, and then like action and thrill, thriller sort of sides to it, and horror even. Like so, it's a broad genre, and I yeah, uh, I just kind of feel like it does get looked down a, a bit, just yeah. because it doesn't have that sort of literary flair or literary edge. Yeah, I mean that's fair. And and to be clear, I don't actually have a bone to pick with romance novels. I just just kind of threw that out there, but, but <laughs> I don't actually mean to hate on romance novel authors. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, for me, like, for example, when I read the Mistborn trilogy, which is entirely a fantasy series, I came away with that with a far deeper appreciation for religion, which I am not myself a, a practicing member of any, any religion, yeah. but I came away from the Mistborn with a far deeper appreciation for the value of a belief system and a, and potentially a, a religion yeah. than I had before. And and again, it's not because I read a book about the history of Christianity or Islam or Judaism, or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it's all yeah. fantasy, but I still was able to extract real world meaning kind of from that. So, yeah, like that, that perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Like I know Brandon Sanderson's uh, quite a religious person. I think he's a Christian. Hmm. And I've seen him on panels before where people are discussing religion. And um, obviously some people take quite a uh, extreme views towards religion and think that it's bad. And think... I just think it can be manipulated by the wrong people. But the concept of religion is a good thing because it pr- promotes positive and um, good ways to live your life. Right. Ten Commandments and things like that. I do generally think that all religions share them sort of common things and that's, we shouldn't really look beyond them. Mm-hmm. They just, but it's not up to me. Like a lot of, a lot of people get a lot of good from religion. Like I was brought up a Catholic for 16 years, mm. believed that believed in God, you know what I mean? And then things change, don't they? So. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's kind of where I've kind of stand as well. I, I think that, if you look at religion as an institution, then certainly there's, it's very easy to point out a lot of flaws or a lot of problems that have come from that throughout history. But anyone I know that is, that is a a deeply religious person, it's exactly what you just described. It's a tool for them to, to lead a more fulfilling and a a better life. And it's something that brings them a lot of joy usually. So I, I don't know how I could diminish something that brings someone joy personally, especially when it's not at the expense of someone else's joy, right? It's, it's a personal experience for, for the individual. Um, yeah, most definitely. 
Well, Richie, I got to tell you, I could I could probably talk to you for another hour, um, but I know <laughs> that I've I've kept you up far later than than I, I intended to originally. Um, so I appreciate your time. Um, your, your website is richiebilling.com. Again, the, the novel Pariah's Lament. We've also got a fantasy uh, writer's handbook, Thoughts on Writing. And there's actually another book that we didn't get to, which is Tales of, of Tervia. Did you want to describe that briefly at all? That's just fantasy short stories. That's a nice short description for you there. There you go. A short <laughs> it's description. Free. It's free on Amazon. So if you want some fantasy short stories, there you go. Cool. Cool. Well, um, I will definitely have a link to the website and to those books for people to to grab uh, in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that you'd like to direct people to to, to connect with you? Um, yeah, just the website, really, um, which you've kindly shared already. So thank you very much for that. And thanks so much for having me on. It's been a lovely chat. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, thank, insightful. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time, man. I really appreciated it. Uh, Richie Billing, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
All right, folks. Well, that's it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Richie for stopping by. I really enjoyed our conversation. Again, his novel is Pariah's Lament. I've picked up a copy and I highly recommend that you do as well. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music. And of course, thank you for listening. I'd also encourage you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we talk about why gaming matters. You can find Pick Up Your Sticks on any podcast platform. Again, thanks so much for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.